All right, so kicking off the new season for 2021 of the Wally World Podcast, we have Randy Gaines, head-to-head PWS angler. Um, I've been lucky to, enough to spend some time in the boat with Randy, learned a ton from him. So, uh, Randy, how are you doing today? Good, how are you? I'm doing great. It's uh, been a minute since we've connected, and I I, you know, I saw you on the Detroit River, but due to the rules with head-to-head, I couldn't say much, so I just said, hi, Randy, and that was it. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I um, I want to chat about how head-to-head PWS is different for angling versus kind of the more traditional circuits. Um, I'd love my listeners to get to know you a little bit more, learn about your tournament experience throughout you know, all the time you've been fishing this season, and also a little bit about the charters that you run on Lake Erie. So um, sure. I just want to let my listeners know a little bit about you. I'll give you a little intro, and then I'm going to ask you some questions, and we're just going to have fun with this. So uh, Randy's been fishing a long time. Um, Michigan listeners, believe it or not, he fished the Michigan Walleye Tour. He's took nine top tens between 2002 and 2005. He's fished the Masters Walleye Circuit. One of his career highlights in the MWC was um, World Walleye Championship, and I believe that was 2016, right? Correct. All right. He's fished the National Walleye Tour. In 2019, he took a top five on Lake Winnebago, and now he's all in for the head-to-head PWS series. And that's been a riot, and it looks like a lot of fun. I've been watching it, as time permits, when I'm not changing diapers. So uh, (laughs) we want to hear a little bit about your experience with the the tour, fishing it that way versus going for the heaviest five. And uh, just introduce yourself to the audience here. Um, So that's some of your career highlights. What brought you to begin fishing and doing it as something you pursue for a living in tournaments and charters? Well, I've always been involved in something competitive. Um, I spent a great deal of my younger years on a competitive archery trail, and um, and it was it was as demanding as what the fishing is now. The only difference was I had little children at the time, and in 1994, I decided that maybe I ought to start being a daddy and uh, spending some time with the young ones. And uh, uh, because it was right in, they were right at that age where they needed me to be there and I needed to be there to experience uh, a lot of the things. And I, I'd accomplished quite a bit in the, in the archery world. So, you know, I was, I was ready, ready for a bit of a break. And uh <laughs> which didn't last very long because in 99, I hit the ground running into walleye world. Uh, started fishing uh, Michigan. Well, I started fishing with the Michiana Walleye Association and then quickly went to the Michigan Walleye Tour, which to this day is still one of the toughest circuits out there. Um, he, you're, you're, you're always fishing against local legends, no matter where you go in the Michigan walleye tour, it is, it is tough, tough ground. So I think that had a lot to do with, with preparing me for the steps that I took later on in MWC and in NWT. Um, The, the PWS, the head to head is a different animal. It is, um, it is all you, um, at the end of the day, there's nobody to say, well, Sam missed the fish with the net or we, you know, it's all you. So it's, it's about your actions and how you deal with the day. Um, 
had to put the fish in the boat. And it took this, it took this old guy a little bit of time to get my feet underneath me and make that that jump from fishing for and pre-fishing for the big bites mm-hmm. and instead of fishing for just good quality bites and lots of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had a, I, I really did. I had a, a super tournament on the Detroit river. It was, it was a lot of what happened there was I was catching a lot of fish that weren't hooked properly mm-hmm. um i was i was actually throwing a ripping wrap and the fish were just crushing it and actually the bait would be in the mouth and the hooks would be on the outside of the head and, oh. and in the beginning our rules didn't dictate for anything outside of the, of the mouth even around the face or the lips or any of that mm-hmm. and um, i think the first day i released 15 pounds probably oh. that I didn't get to weigh. And the second day it was like 32 pounds. I didn't get to weigh. Oh. So, so yeah, I come away from there. I didn't make a check. I didn't make the grade eight, but I come away from there feeling that I made the right decisions. I, I had a pretty solid plan. The only thing looking back I should have done is, is probably traded that rip and wrap in for a paddle tail and run the same jerk program. Yep. The same casting and snapping. And, and, uh, I think I would have had the, the, um, more weight because the fish would have had to bait, you know, mm-hmm. in the mouth, the whole thing. So, yeah. Now, uh, Randy, did you focus on the lower part of the river? Cause when I saw you, I saw you at the lower kind of by powder keg and the S turn, um, did you, in your pre-fish or anything, head towards mid or up river? I didn't find anything special up there. That's why when you, you saw know, me practicing. I, I, I found a lot. There was a, there was a lot of fish up there that I would, would say when you put them on the scale was maybe or maybe not. Two-pound fish. Yep. Uh, yep. Right there. And, and uh, I, I actually had um, a really good casting game that I found – deer and pre-fish with uh, uh, DT tins uh, on some rocks mm-hmm. in, in I'd say mid river. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's actually where I went first thing on the first day. Well, when I got there first thing on the first day, the walleye had been replaced by stay with sturgeon were in there. <laughs> Hold on. As thick as carpet Cedar point. And, uh, yeah. and it just, it uh, just, well, the bite was not there. So uh-huh. then I, I ran down and fished. Uh, my uh, second spot was uh, down around a hole in the wall down yeah. there. And uh, uh, had a couple of spots where where some quality fish were, were kind of in a current seam. And I was able to cast to them instead of doing the vertical game. And uh, they, they were really interested in what I was doing. It just... I, I didn't do it quite right. So, mm-hmm. so, you know, you, you, you come away. It's kind of, had I not been playing this game for a lot of years, I would have come away really down on myself, but I found the fish mm-hmm. and, and, and I got them to bite, but I slipped a little bit, you know, as far as adjusting, um, making that adjustment. Um, so, you, you know, then, 
then uh, um, we went to uh, um, Wisconsin River and in the Wisconsin River is where I I beat myself at this game because I was I was dead fast on catching weighable fish, two pound fish. And the name of the game up there, because I don't know that it's the river's fault is maybe timings was a little bit off. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I just didn't get into the whole dink thing or the dink fest. And that's where, that's where taking me a little bit to get, get in the game because I kept thinking to myself, all I need to do is catch one or two scoreable fish and I'm in the grade eight. Mm -hmm. So that's what I kept fishing for right, right to the bitter end. You know, I'd have to put myself back in the same situation to see what, what uh, decision I might make, whether it would be to play the game Mm -hmm. or to stay after the, the scoreable fish. I, at this moment, I'm not sure, um, what that decision would be, you know? So, gotcha. um, but I, I may have got out gamed. I just say it that way. I got out gamed a little yep. bit there. Uh, then we moved on to, to Malax. Malax is an incredible body of water. That's on a bucket uh, list for me. It, I just, I just, I, I love it there. And I, I went at things a little bit different there. I had a really shallow, uh, trolling bite and and I would a lot rather cast it or pitch to them and in which I did have uh, uh, some success doing that but I had put all my eggs in the basket on this troll game and what I was doing is I was trolling Bagley Rumblebees uh, number nines and I was trolling them about 50 feet back in five feet of water so I was just plowing the bottom. I mean, just, I had to retie probably every 25, 30 minutes because I just had my line all chewed up. Um, but what I was doing is I was yielding some super, super fish, some really big fish and quite, quite, a, quite good numbers. Um, and and uh, so as luck would have it, I get there the first day and I churn and I churn and I churn on it. And, and when the sun come up, then I could see there was small mouth bass as far as I could see the smallies had come into that area to spawn. And I don't think they were tolerating the walleye or the walleye wasn't tolerating them, but they had left it. And so by, by then it was late in the day because we only get five hours. So, anything you do and you make any kind of bobble it's late in the day before you figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I had, I had some, uh, other things working, but I also had some of the other competitors I was against on those spots. And I, and that's just not how I, I just don't work that way. You know, I didn't get in on them. So, so I, I ran and I tried to replicate that in a couple other spots on the lake and, and it, it didn't work. It didn't work out. So 
probably my biggest flop this year. If I had to say that I had a flop, it was Malax because I should, I was kind of in a single note uh, mm-hmm. game plan, plan A, and that was it. And, and I think I got stuck in plan A because it was so good, you know, yep. I, I didn't, I couldn't see outside of that. I thought, man, I'm going to get, I'm going to weigh 40 pounds of fish a day in five hours. And that's what, what I had seen in a couple of practice days I had in that area, but it, it just didn't, didn't happen. And uh, then we went on to the Mississippi river um, pool two in St. Paul. And, and I wasn't crazy about, I'm not a big Mississippi guy, but I'll tell you what, I would go back there in a heartbeat that river. We was there in a drought. It was horribly low. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I actually saw barges uh, getting shoved around in some of the offshoots where they've got docks that, that uh, when the tugs were pushing them, the mud was just rolling out of the prop. I mean, they just, they, they, they couldn't have been clearing by, but, a foot or two at most. Hmm. Um, and, and they did have some issues with some barges getting stuck up there. Um, had a really good pre-fish there. The, the whole wing dam thing uh, didn't take me long to, to figure out that the, the traditional wing dam fishing become more of uh, mid-river rock humps because there was no current. If there was two mile hour current, it was blowing you upstream. Yep. And that's just not the case in the Mississippi river. You're, it's usually moving pretty good, but I did, I found a spot down river, uh, pool two still, uh, where there's a tile that dumped into the river and it wasn't running very strong. I mean, it probably, there probably was, uh, if you choked it all down to one tile, you might've filled a six or an eight inch tile, but it was dumping right into the middle of a shallow weed bed. And by shallow, I mean, a foot to three foot. Wow. And, uh, and right, right next to that tile pipe was an aggregate plant. And I think it was probably something where they'd been washing some gravel or something or some, some overrun from the aggregate plant is what, what that was. And, uh, uh, I quickly developed on the first day, um, a pretty good pattern uh, in in these weeds. There's a stretch of weeds that's probably 100 yards long. And in a half hour, I turned three fish that between 24 and 28 and a half inches long. Oh, that's pretty uh, good. Yeah. And, and in the, I knew how the other guys was doing on the river that it was just, it was not that good. Mm-hmm. So I didn't go back there on the second day of practice because I just didn't think that I needed to be in there. And on the final day of practice Sunday, I made five casts and caught two nice walleye and got out of there. Mm -hmm. And uh, we pulled up there um, on the first day of the tournament, which would be on a Monday. And there sets a tug with his prop right in the middle of my hole and he's hooked to six barges, a uh, six pack of barges. 
and uh, he just sitting there churning. Uh-oh. And, and, and he just pulled away as, as I was uh, uh, getting there. And so it had things pretty stirred up. And uh, I, um, I think I fished for about an hour before I got my first bite. And it was in, it was, I thought, holy cow, this is a nice sauger because it was a sauger. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, it was about 17 inches long. It weighed one pound, 14 and a quarter ounces. And uh, just, just shy. And uh, I made about three more casts and uh, I caught two pound walleye. And then I continued to, the rest of the day, I caught, I think, six more saugers. The smallest from that point, and they're all like 18 inches, but they were thin. Mm-hmm. Um, the The smallest was, uh, I think, one pound, 14 and three quarter ounces. And the biggest was one pound, 15 and three quarter ounces. So I was within an ounce, ounce and a quarter. And, and, and so I had a really good day because I think I caught about two or three times more fish than anybody else in the tournament. The, the only thing was they, they wasn't the right size. And I think that that barge in that mud had something to do that the walleyes didn't tolerate it. But the sauger, of course, were in there. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of unique. Uh, I was throwing at those, um, what I caught the walleye on in the sauger, and I should back up a little bit, but I spent a lot of time this year throwing a chatterbait, a bass chatterbait. Yeah. Uh, Z-Man, there's one that's got a little willow blade on it. And uh, I put a, uh, I had a, uh, um, it was uh, one of the uh, ROI shad, uh, it was a KVD, um, it was a three and a half inch shad. The swim and shiner? Huh? The swim and shiner that they make? Yep. Yep. It was three and a half inch on the back of that. And I was, I was pitching it into the weeds and I'd let it hit the bottom and then I'd just give it a short rip and that thing just, just really vibrates. And, mm-hmm. and uh, they were just, just absolutely crushing. Um, Second day was very similar. We got there and the tug was sitting there, but this time the tug had kind of turned out and he rolled about half of that weed bed up onto the shore. Oh. Yeah. And so I grounded out again. Um, I caught lots of fish right within a quarter ounce of being legals and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, I just didn't leave because I just knew in my heart that somewhere along the line, just one of them big fish would bite and it would only in the situation we was in there, it would only taken one big fish and I would have been, been okay. So that's another tournament. I come away from feeling pretty good, but, but, uh, um, not scoring very well. You know, I felt like I found the fish. It just, it was some, some situations that, happened that that didn't let me capitalize on on uh, a good a good bag of fish for the day or good we don't do bag anymore but numbers right uh, numbers for the day um so i i i would go back there in a heartbeat i think under under regular conditions under normal conditions and not a drought situation i think that would be an incredible tournament. I think uh, 
of course, it's it's all catch and release there. So there's never going to be a uh, five in the bag weigh-in tournament. Whatever goes there is going to have to be catch and record mm-hmm. and release. But it is it is truly one dandy of a fishery. Mm. So I, I hope I hope that that in a year or two or three that head to head goes back there because I. I'd like to give it another, another spin. Yeah. I'd like to reel back. And before we talk more about some of your other events, um, you talked about pitching the weeds and, and I learned a lot pitching weeds with you in Lake George. And mm-hmm. um, I want to talk about how you approach pitching weeds, what areas to hit and, you know, little things like nuances. I mean, in NWT, we're allowed to use live bait. So we pitched crawlers and light jigs, three right. outs. Um, but that's things I was noticing just observing in your boat is that, you know, you would flip the bale, pitch that jig out and you'd let it fall while, you know, almost like trigger finger in the line, but talk about some of the ways that you approach finding fish in the weeds and targeting them with jig style techniques. Doesn't have to be live bait, but um, you mentioned the chatter bait. How do you approach targeting and dissecting the weeds? Well, what, what I did there is, is I was looking for anything out of the, out of the norm. Cause the, the, the river is kind of stressed. It was low, nothing moving, no current, no, no anything. So I, I was looking for cover. Um, and, and I just happened to find cover with, with a little bit of moving water in it. And, and I actually, um, when I first saw it, I sat and just watched it for, probably a half hour before I threw the first jig in it. Because if, if you quite often, if you just watch weeds, you can see the life, you can see the minnows mm-hmm. raise up, or you can see, you can see the, the weeds move around. So it tells you there's a larger fish that's down there. And, and, and so you can just kind of, and you get a feel for it over, over time, especially when they're when they're concentrating, when they're expansive weed beds, that's not so much the case. But mm-hmm. but when in what I like to fish is the smaller uh, pockets of weeds or, or little groups of weeds that are that are adjacent to either a break line or a shoreline or or, yep. or something going on. And in the first thing that I'll do is I'll fish the outside edge of the weeds. In in whether it is uh, running a swim bait or um, up there, my search bait up there was a bomber Model A. Oh, that's classic. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. the, there was a crawdad color that's been discontinued for 10, 15 years that I don't know why, but <laughs> um, I actually bought a bunch of them and had that bait, reper- that color reproduced. And, uh, it's it's a great walleye search bait. Uh, so I'd I'd run the I'd run the, the outside edges of of the weeds, and uh, I immediately found there was some northerns living in there. So I knew there was some predator fish in there, which meant that it, there was prey in there as well. Um, and in so after after I did, I actually caught in the first day of practice. I caught fish on the outside edge running the crankbait, and uh, so then it made me investigate the pockets and and 
if if you look at the leading edge of a weed bed, and and it's almost like if you're looking at a shoreline that had points and coves and bends and turns, and the weeds do the same thing. And the fish will the fish will position themselves in in those little points or them pockets, and and then you just take your time and pitch to them and let the bait hit the bottom and and try to keep it your first couple of if if you're snap jigging it or or however you decide you're going to move that jig you want to kind of almost try to keep it in that spot as long as you can um because them fish are in the weeds for a reason and if you're pitching to the outside of them and you yank it clear to the outside very seldom will they chase it clear to the outside mm-hmm. um so the the strike's going to happen on the inside so the longer you can stay in that in that strike zone the better makes sense to me yeah so uh tell us more about the rest of the events for the season well the the, the rest of the event was um mcconaughey mm-hmm. and uh i i I had a good feeling. I, I've been. I had a good feeling about McConaughey all year, and to be honest, I've never seen it. I just knew where it was on the map, but I knew that it was a deep water reservoir, and we were going at the time of the year when the fish could be deep. Mm-hmm. And and uh, so as I was preparing, I thought, okay, I know out there there's two main things they do on McConaughey. They call it slabbing or it's spoon fishing. Um, and uh, uh, the other thing is pulling spinner baits, bass style, one and two ounce spinner baits through the tops of the weeds on lead core. And uh, so I like everybody else probably bought a hundred pounds of spinner baits <laughs> with me and several spools of lead core. And, uh, I gathered up, um, all my Hopkins spoons and my slab spoons. And I, I even spent some time buying some stuff from, uh, the John Boyce tackle. He makes a really killer spoon out there right at McConaughey. Okay. Um, and spinner baits and spoons. He's a guide. So you, you expect him to know, what what you're going to need. So I kind of put a lot of faith in his products. And uh, at the same time, I'm thinking, okay, I fish deep water a lot here on Erie. How do I fish it? I fish it with dipsy divers. And I also fish it with wire. And, and the wire was kind of a I kept walking by my wire rods when I was loading a boat and loading a truck. And, and every time I'd walk by them, I thought, I need to take them. I need to take them. And I actually was all the way loaded up and getting ready to pull out of driveway. And it just dawned on me. I didn't grab them wire rods. So I back in, I come and I got the wire rods. And uh, so I got out there the first day I got out there, um, was uh thursday and thursday evening it rained well they got uh, i think they had five inches of rain in about two hours so it washed it was with the water as low as it was the water is i think they like 20 some feet down so wow. the the 
the reservoir is at like 58%. Okay. Um, so all the launches are the low water launches, which means that, that you drive out in the lake and then out in the lake, the DNR had put in a slab of concrete back when they made the, the lake. Mm-hmm. And so they would take a loader or something and push the silt off of it. And that was the launch. Um, the roads to the launch is all washed out. Um, there was uh, vans. Uh, Fish Camp had uh, these special trucks, uh, four-wheel drives that had crab steer and tractor tires on them. And it uh-huh. looked like a mud bogger's dream. I just, yeah, uh, pretty cool trucks. They could, they would back you out into the lake probably. Uh, they were still backing you probably 100 feet out in the water to get you launched. But anyway, the, the first day of practice was Friday and it was blowing 35, 40 mile an hour. And uh, it's coming right down the lake. And, and I didn't have no problems with getting out in the waves was out there. I just knew to, that it would serve to confuse me the next couple of days, whatever I found in all that wind, because it just, you could, just couldn't pattern anything mm-hmm. real well. So I stayed on the bank the first day. And so the second day of practice was actually my first day of practice. And uh, I started just driving around and, and spent probably the first half of the day driving. I drove down, looked at the, the trees on the West end where they pull the spinner baits. And it was, it was pretty tore up from, from the rain and the wind. And then I went down and I started looking at the, what I call the main basin or the deep end of the lake down by the dam face. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely schools of bait that were as big as your house. Hmm. And, and there was huge marks in that bait. And um, I'm like, okay, this is, this is it. I don't know what they are. It's either going to be a wiper or a walleye or a catfish. And, and I started trolling them schools of bait um with uh dipsies and i got right down in them and i trolled and changed stuff up for about well probably an hour hour and a half and i finally caught a fish and it was about a 12 pound channel catfish mm. and uh i thought well i'm gonna move on so it's a lot of times here it's not a you're a great lakes guy so you know fishing in the bait's not always a smart thing to do that sometimes the fish away from the bait or the fish that are active. But I started moving around a little bit and I got into about 60 feet of water and I started, there was some, a series of subtle humps and they, they, in, then once you got to 50 feet, then the humps was a little more, but it was like, you'd go from say 50 feet to 45 feet or 43 foot. Mm-hmm. And, and those would be the humps. They were, I don't know that they were real rocky. They were a little bit featureless, but they were, they were humps. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I started messing around with, with them, uh, with the dipsies. And, and I, I ended up uh, you, <laughs> with a kind of a modified worm burner. I put a, a 
a Y44 Yak spoon, trolling spoon, yep. larger trolling spoon. And on the back of it, I put a three hooked pre-rigged bass crawler because we can't use live bait. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know if you've seen the Kelly's worms. Oh, uh, those classic little plastic curly mm-hmm. worms come in a small little packet. Yep. Mm-hmm. And and the cool thing about those is is I've been playing with them here on Lake Erie all summer long. Is they're pre-rigged and they've got like a six-inch leader. Well, if you put a, a swivel on that six-inch leader, they've got the classic slow death spin. Mm. in the water okay yep so i put those i put that on the back of a spoon and then i and i also uh had on the other uh dipsy i had down is i had that rumblebee that's been a really really good bait the number nine and the number 11 bagley rumblebee and uh do they still make those or did the northland take them over bottom okay and they they uh kind of sold off the original colors and I think they've come back with their own colors now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but back to, back to the lake in the last hour, hour and a half of fishing um, with the dipsies um, that I caught a 28 and a half inch fish that weighed 10 two. Ooh. And then I caught a 30 incher that I'm convinced was well over 12. I didn't weigh her. I wanted to get her back in the water. I just, that's a lot of stress on a big fish. Yep. And uh, back and swimming. Yep. So I, this is a good time to go to supper. I feel pretty good about what I'd found there. Oh, I would too. And uh, so the last day of, of uh, pre-fish, I went down and I played in the treetops. Um, uh, and, and tried that, caught some fish. I would say they some of the guys did well was fishing in those treetops. And uh, Brian Bell and and uh, but uh, the the fish were there. But I just for me they wasn't quite. Uh, you know, it's it's like an inner bay and an outer bay walleye. They were nice walleye, but there was more oomph. To the ones that was in the in the eastern end of the lake, mm-hmm. uh, but it, I I kept thinking in my mind, okay, you didn't do this right on the Wisconsin River, you didn't do this right here, so I'm gonna go for the trees to start out with on the first day. Uh, so the actually the first day of the tournament, I started down in the trees, and and uh, it was flat, 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 calm. And there was about six of us tournament boats and at least that many local boats churning around in 15 Hmm. feet of water that was a couple football fields big. And we just, I know we shut the fish off. That just, there was nobody catching. And and, uh, about halfway through the morning, I said, well, if somebody doesn't leave, nobody's catching anything. And so I left. <laughs> and um, and wasn't long after I left, I think some other folks pulled out too. And then when it got down to a manageable amount of boats down there, they started catching some fish. 
but I, I just think we had them. We had them spooked, is what we, or they just the, the pressure wasn't wasn't doing them in any good. Um, Question about your tree program, and and for those that haven't watched the PWS um, coverage of that event, mm-hmm. when you were in the trees, were you running those offshore boards, or were you straight lining lead? Nope, straight lining lead, mm-hmm. and actually, um, I ran onto a little little method. I had a couple of rods that I had spooled with um, torpedo steel braid. It is 19 strand. Mm -hmm. So it's probably about the same diameter as 20 pound test line. Okay. But it's 45 pound test and it's steel. And, and after I had went through several colors of lead core and in a five gallon bucket of spinner baits, (laughs) <laughs> I decided that I was going to give this wire a go. The, the okay. water was discolored enough. So I tied this 19 strand um, wire uh, right to the spinnerbait. The no leader, no anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I started letting it out and I let out a lead core rod to see how it went feet back for feet back. The, so I was at about 90 feet back with the lead core. I started whacking the treetops and about 94 feet back with the wire. I started whacking the treetops. I said, okay. okay, the lead's gone. I'm in, I'm now using the wire. And uh, I, it didn't, didn't matter to the fish because I caught as many fish in their pre-fish on the wires. I did, on the lead, the only difference was is when you hung up, you was either going to straighten the hook or tear the blades right off the spinner <laughs> bait, pull up a tree. But something yeah. was given, you know, and it yep. and you wasn't it wasn't your lead core. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, let's chat about that wire line. Um, yeah, it's Great Lakes guys. We use it. And, um, I mean, it's it's really popular out on the uh, some of the salmon and trout lakes out here in Michigan. And and I, if I've heard you correctly, you're talking like a multi-strand steel line, right? It's not well, one. What single. I was using for the spinner baits is, is a multi-strand. Okay. What I was using with the Salmos is a single strand mm. stainless wire. Okay. Uh, either 12 or 15 pound is what they call it, but it, that really correlates the, the 12 pound is 12 thousandths. The 15 pound is 13 thousandths in diameter. Okay. And, and, uh, that's what I ended up when I, when the second day I ran my Dipsy program two thirds of the day and it, the wind was, had blowed probably had flipped directions a half a dozen times the morning of the second day. So it was, it was, it was, tough it was really cold front situation and and uh the fish were definitely neutral to negative because everything that was suspended earlier was laying flat on the bottom and they there just was nothing up feeding and uh the last probably the last hour on the second day i thought Oh, I need to do something to wake these guys up. And it dawned on me, I've got this wire. Now the single strand wire is, is pretty special. We right now here in the Eastern central, the Eastern basin of Lake Erie, 
Um, if the charter captains is doing a lot of catching or is running primarily wire and some dipsies, but the wire is definitely dominating. Um, and, and it's, there's, there's some theories behind the wire. Number one, um, try to, I tried to explain this the other day when I had a conversation, if, if you ever, when you was a kid walking down a country road and the telephone lines, it was going above you. You, you ever hear the telephone lines going ding, 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 mm-hmm. ding. That's what that steel, that, that stainless steel wire does coming through the water. So if you've got a bait that's 300 feet back, that fish knows something is coming long before it gets there because the vibration from from that bait is telegraphing down that that steel line kind of like yeah. if you took two uh uh cups and and you stretched a string between two cups or you took two cups and you stretched that wire between two cups and then tried to talk you know like mm-hmm. you're going to hear more with the one with the wire on it right now another thing the wire does is because moving through the water, any any in water moving on its own, um, anything moving past that steel or that metal or that alloy it creates an electric charge. Um, this electrolysis. Mm-hmm. So so it that also puts off a signature and and the old timer said that it puts off a signature like a big school of minnows so there there's it's kind of hard until you've witnessed it and watched it and played with it to understand that part of the wire sounds like a lot of hocus pocus but the salmon guys will tell you that the wire makes a big big difference Mm -hmm. um and uh so I grabbed uh, back to what I did. I grabbed a wire rod and I thought, okay, I've got neutral negative fish. I'm going to go as small as I can go. And I dug around and I got a, a box of number four Salmos that, that, and I just love them little Salmos. They're deadly. They catch. Yeah, they do catch. And uh, so I put a, a it was a Fleet Farm exclusive. I have no idea what the color is other than it's black and had purple tiger stripes. And uh, I I put that on one rod. I was still running a dipsy rod. And I I let her out. And uh, I thought, well, since, since uh, I only have one dipsy out, I'm not going to put a planer board on it. I'm just going to stick it in the rod holder. And... Uh, I stuck it in the rod holder and I turned around and I looked back and it was doubled up. Um, and I got that fish in, it was eight, six. <laughs> so I thought, okay, the gypsy's coming in. The second wire rod is going out. And then uh, you always want to, when you're running multiple wire rods, you definitely want to use the offshore, the OR-12s. Uh, because you need to get them a long ways apart because you're back behind the boat, mm-hmm. depending on the length of your wire, 250 to 400 feet. And, and if, if you make a turn or bobble or you've got current, you can end up with a big old ball of wire 
pretty darn fast. Bad so, news. Yeah. So I, I put the other rod out and in 45 minutes I had, uh, what I had 21 pounds of fish. Hmm. And, uh, so it, I went from, from nothing to third place in about 45 minutes. Um, and then that just kind of set up the rest of the tournament in the using the wire. So I'd like to ask you about um, running the offshore boards when you're running that single strand wire. Um, when you're running mono, typically, if you want the boards to release, you can do the loop trick. Um, do you rig anything different if you want that board to release so that it falls out of formation and rolls to the back yeah. of your boat? Good. That's a very good question. When, when you run the wire, you can't clip the wire itself. So what you're clipping on is you'll have, we'll start at the, at the front. You'll have, I only run about six or eight feet of 15 pound uh, fluorocarbon. Uh, you can run 20 pound fluorocarbon to a micro swivel. Mm -hmm. And then that micro swivel to your wire with a haywire twist. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then you have the your length of wire, which... Um, like I said, depends on the depth you want to reach. Um, either you'll have your, I have rods that have 250 feet of wire. I have rods that has 300 feet and I have rods that have 350 feet of wire on them. And, and, uh, after the wire, then you have another micro swivel. And then I run 30 or 40 pound braid on the back end of that. Mm -hmm. And, I always, and, and sometimes because it braids so slippery, I always set it to where I can pop it and release it so it'll fall back. Because if in, in, in a charter situation, you might be running three wire rods on a side and they're way, way out there. And, and if you hook a fish up on the outside, you don't want to even begin to think about dragging him across. Mm -mm. He's got to be behind the boat when you start reeling. So yes, I I set them to where where they'll they'll release and when when you use the braid and I had one the rod that I was using um, on the uh, starboard side of the boat the braid was uh, like an eight carrier and it was so daggone slip mm -hmm. slick that it would trip itself once in a while and I'd have to reel it in and twist her up and send her back out. So I like to use something that's a, it's, it's a little uh, like a suffix performance or the uh, power pro something that's got a little bit of texture to um, it. Abrasion, but it's got something for the pads to grip onto. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cause that's, that's really braid and a releasing clip is tough to begin with, you know? Right. I think that's where um, a lot of the folks like to use that Sam's Pro release that offshore kind yeah, of. Uh, I, and I use Sam's a lot. I didn't have it, didn't have it with me uh, when I'm trolling them uh, here out on Lake Erie. I use that release exclusively when I'm running anything with braid because that really, really is a nice release. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the nice thing about the standard release too is the built-in adjustability. You can move that spring to get that tension on that orange clip just right for your if you're running braid, mono, whatever. Right. Pretty slick. Right. So um tell us a little bit more about McConaughey. 
Well, uh, the started out this, the, the be the third day. Um, and now I've got the camera in the boat with me and, and, uh, of course in Marshall and it's, it happened pretty quick. I ended up the third day and it was 25 pounds and change, uh, which was pretty good for really tough bite. Mm -hmm. Um, and I never let up from the wire in the Salmos. I, I had, uh, ended up, running the same Salmo on both sides, which was the black tiger, which is the black one with the little gold tiger stripes. Mm -hmm. It just seemed to be what was tripping their trigger. And uh, it was funny, you'd, you'd, I'd go over a hump and, and I'd go over it and fish would be laying flat on the bottom. I mean, just like they was buried belly and, down and uh i'd get i'd go over that hump and i may or may not catch a fish but when i got turned around and the next time i come back over that hump the fish had rose up so i think it had all to do with that wire telegraphing that noise when it mm -hmm. went over their head they would rise up to see what it was and then got their attention they rise up, then, you know, they're aggravated or they're committed to what's going on. And that's, that's when the bite would, would <laughs> generally happen. And uh, so it just, it, it was not, it was not a stellar bite at any rate, just mainly because of all the cold fronts, the moon and, 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 uh, uh, you know, they were in a severe drought situation. So for, for the whole head to head group to go out there and catch what we caught in those conditions, I think it was, it was pretty impressive. Yeah. Pretty impressive. Definitely. So I want to share some fun facts about you. Um, <laughs> I, I hear a lot of people talk about, Oh man, I have to drive uh, so far to an event. Um, if I recall, you used to travel from the Pacific Northwest back when you lived out that way to all, all these Midwest events, Masters Walleye Circuits and, and stuff. Talk about your longest drive to fish walleye tournament. Um, well, I lived in, in Mount Vernon in Washington State, which is right on Puget Sound. Actually, my wife worked on an, an island. It was just out in the Sound ways, uh, Fidalgo Island. And... Uh, I was fishing every one of the Masters Walleye Circuit. So my furthest trek would, would have been from um, Mount Vernon. And Mount Vernon is about 30 miles south of the Canadian border, as far up in the corner, just about as you can get. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, my furthest trek was to Kinzo in Pennsylvania. Oh. <laughs> How many hours is that? Well, well, if, if, if I was coming to say Lake Erie, it was about 44 hours of drive time. That doesn't include getting gas or any of the, of the other things. Montana is like a day to get across man, Montana. It's, yeah. it's forever, um, across Montana. So, uh, once you got, across Montana, you felt like you had, uh, you had done pretty good. 
that's quite the drive. Um, yeah. So yeah. Another thing that I know about you from fishing with you um, last year is that uh, you, you put your mind to something, you do it. And uh, one of the cool things is, is I recall you telling the stories about kind of invoking your uh, your Viking bloodline. And uh, for my listeners, Randy literally <laughs> learned how to blacksmith and made Damascus steel uh, Viking sword and a battle axe. Um, so uh, you put your mind to something, you do it. And uh, if that wasn't enough, and I, and I believed him during the Huron event, um, you know, he wanted us to check him out. So he, he brought him into the house we stayed at and it was legit. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, describe a little bit about uh, your, uh, your bladesmithing. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I, I, I've always wanted to do something like that. And I used my brother's wedding as an excuse. He had a theme wedding. And uh, uh, we were supposed to come in like period clothes. And I said, well, you know, we've got uh, a lot of Viking heritage. So um, I'm going to uh, I'm going to come dressed as a Viking, but I'm going to make the sword and the the axe and I'm going to do it all. And I just use that kind as an excuse to do that. <laughs> Since then I've done quite a bit of stuff. I made some knives and flay knives and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, I don't want to say in my free time, cause I don't have a lot of free time, but, <laughs> but I've, I've managed to make, make some pretty cool thing. Yeah. I thought it was pretty neat. And um, I think you'd mentioned um, you're partnered with uh, Yarcraft and uh, Bass Cat Boats. And and I, I can't, and forgive me, I don't remember the name of the dealership that you work with, but I think you gifted like a, a hunting knife to the gentleman that owns yeah, it. Yeah, Sherm. Sherm's Marine. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, Sherm has been really good to me. I run, uh, I run my boat through there and my Mercury motor through mm-hmm. there. Um, and he just, he just kind of keeps me uh, put together, so to speak. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I got a lot going on. I, you know, mm-hmm. there's my boat's got six graphs on it, and you know, power pole and and all sorts of items. And and uh, he he just he's pays a real close attention to detail. So he gets me he gets me up and going pretty pretty quick if I have any kind mm-hmm. of issues at all. And if I'm not mistaken, his business is located in uh state where you were born, right? Yep. Wabash, Indiana. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sure is. Sure is. Um, he just, he, he literally is that dealer. You'd be driving to his place. You tell somebody how to get there and they'll call you and say, there's nothing out here, but a cornfield. I just is keep driving. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, that's great. Um, um, let's see what else I want to talk. We got to talk about pitching the jigs and the weeds. And I think that's particularly applicable for the guys in Lake St. Clair. Uh, that's a big, uh, viewer and listener base for this podcast. And, um, you know, on the same theme of you doing the blacksmith stuff, you spend a lot of time and paying attention to detail on, on prepping and enjoying the process of getting ready for the events. Um, if you could, as look from the perspective of a charter captain or a tournament angler, um, what about the process of getting ready for trips just gives you energy and, and makes, makes it something special rather than a task or ordeal? Oh, sure. Well, the um, preparation for, for me, um, preparing for a trip or, or a charter or um, happen, just it starts long before. And, and 
that's part of the excitement for me, you know, mm-hmm. is thinking about what you need. And, and, and in my case, um, if I can create it or build it or make it um, even, even more so, but um, <clears throat> it, it'll, I try to fish the event in my head before I ever get there. Mm-hmm. And, and so yeah, I, I try to put myself through different scenarios is, okay, we got a cold front. What, what do I need for cold front situation? Um, uh, we got high water or we, you know, we got low water or, or we, you know, it just, you got to think of everything that could happen and prepare for each one of those because there's nothing worse than getting to an event and 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 figuring out that you left what you needed at home. <laughs> yep. You know, it just it's like, okay, who can I call to run this up here? Can I get it overnighted or you know, can I find it locally or so it if if you can try to fish that tournament before before you ever get to it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that, that makes sense, but in my head, it makes a lot of sense. But mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're taking all you can in from an analytical perspective, um, any resources you can get on the body of water reports yep. and run it through your head and then let that guide for what you're going to pack and yep. load up for travel. Yep. And, and for me, outside information is probably, the worst thing I can do is to get information from somebody else instead of going and breaking down the body of water um, uh, by myself. You know, you get guys who well, I'll send you some waypoints. And so what you're doing and, and what, what's tough. And, and I've over the years found out fishing memories can really get a fella in trouble, an angler in trouble pretty quick. Um, and, and especially with the head to head, we've got three days to practice. And so by the time you work through all your memories, it can be too late and they're good reference points are like, okay, I know the fish are doing this at this time of year. Then, then you got to look at that body of water because it changes from year to year, to year, to year, to year, uh, you and I fished together, um, and, and had a pretty good troll bite going up at Sault Ste. Marie up there. Mm-hmm. I promise you the next year at the same time, it was different situation there. Absolutely. But, but if, if you get caught up fishing the memories, you go right back to it because you had success there. And, and I think for me, it's, and I saw it this year, the bodies of water I knew nothing about was the bodies of water that I fished the best in. <laughs> And and is you have an open mind, you know. You're not. It it's so hard to fish somebody else's program. How many times have you been on the water and a buddy says, "Hey, we're crushing them down here. We're pulling, yeah, you know, Daddy banded sixty feet back at two mile an hour, and you go down there and and you try to run that program, and it just it, yep, it mm-hmm. doesn't happen. So you know, it's 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 almost better for me for my buddy. Hey, we're crushing them down here. And then don't say another word. Yep. Let me come down here and, and 
build my own program because nine out of 10 chances, the little nuances that your buddy's doing, you don't know. And he, he doesn't know that he's doing them to tell you it's just how they fish. Yeah. You know? So you, you, you got to build your, build your own program, build your own game. Um, and, and, don't don't get caught up in that uh, trying to get all these 007 waypoints <laughs> how many times does that come back to bite you i mean it's oh, it's great to get the info but more, uh, so, more so than not i just um i just do better just organic your process yep absolutely um, so I want to talk about your charter business and part of the reason why I started doing chartering on the side is, you know, seeing your passion. And one of the things you'd said that, uh, that kind of got you into doing the charter stuff is that you just like seeing people catch. I remember hearing the joy in your voice about talking about taking people out and just having a riot pounding like big sheephead on Lake Erie and oh, making yeah. good meals out of that. And, um, and for you, it's all about having people have fun and enjoy the process of catching fish and, and it, but you just like seeing people catch. So, uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about your charter service, nibble this charters and kind of your approach to fishing and, and learn about where you fish on Lake Erie and, and how you run your things. Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a charter captain, but my mindset is, is I sell memories mm-hmm. and, and it is so important to me that the memories I sell are good memories, positive yeah. memories, and hopefully yep. life memories. Yes. You know, I can remember not so long in the distant past that before I started fishing Lake Erie, when I was younger and, and I would hear guys going to Lake Erie and that, and you know, you're, you're, you're young, you got kids and you're trying to make ends meet. And, and you think, man, one of these days I'm going to, I'll get to save some money up and I'll go with some buddies and we'll go, we'll go to Lake Erie. And, and, uh, you, so you start saving a little bit of money and then life gets in the way and kid gets sick or whatever. And so there's, there goes that money. So mm-hmm. eventually you get the money to take this, life trip this bucket list trip to lake erie and we take it for granted because we live here and fish it every day but it it's it is a goal for a lot of folks to get here and and some of the folks are traveling great great distances and and the the money that they spend on my charter is the smallest part of their trip Mm -hmm. so so i want to do my level best to to make it to where when they go home and hopefully they're eating a batch of walleye in the winter time that they'd froze that they yeah. caught with me that they can reminisce and they can think about the good time they had catching them and and the laughs they had catching them and 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 uh, they want to pick up the phone call me back and repeat that repeat that memory but so it's it's all about for it's about memories i just that i coming from a humble beginning and and having taken some charters where it you was just a paycheck for some guy with a boat um i i i don't want that ever to be said about me yeah 
So, so it, and, and uh, the fun side of it is, yep, I sell a lot of sheephead charters a year. I got folks <laughs> yeah. coming from all over to fishy sheephead, mm-hmm. and some of them are, are coming to take them. I've got one fellow that comes two days a year, um, and we probably – I don't know how many hundreds of pounds of sheephead that he takes and home with him because he has a, he owns a large company and they have a customer appreciation uh, dinner and they do a, uh, like a Louisiana crawfish boil, but they use the sheephead. And he said his customers is, they're like all but fighting over it. It's just just like lobster. Yeah. Shrimp, they get a bad name, the sheephead does. If it was in Louisiana, you'd call it a redfish. Yep. And and uh they just get a they got a bad rap because they're they got the same contour shape as a carp and they're not the most colorful guy out there, but they're predator fish, just like a carp or a smallmouth bass. They're 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 and they are scrappers. If you want to teach a young person or somebody just getting into angling, how to fight a fish, or the thrill of catching a fish with the rod in hand. Mm-hmm. Let's go sheephead fishing. I'll get you. I'll make your arms so sore the next day you won't be able to look them <laughs> over your head. Yeah, but, but uh, you know that's that's how you make that's how you make fishers. Is you it, it didn't it didn't by taking a an eight year old out and saying okay you need to reel in four hundred feet of wire or you know, uh, uh, 200 feet of mono and the rod's too big for them. It, that it just, it doesn't, it's not fun. You know, it becomes a chore. So if you can put that rod in their hand and let them feel that thump and then that big battle on the other end and they're just all Mm -hmm. smiles and yeah. uh, Yeah. No, but I love, I love the sheephead. Besides that, the bait, how many baby sheephead have you ever seen? Because not many, because right. they're in the bellies of the walleye. They feed our walleye. Yep. You know, it, it's just like the the little carp. You know, we when we see a big carp, we think there's too many of them. But what we need to remember is those little carp, those little sheephead, those little white bass, those little white perch that all feed our our massive school of walleye that we have here. So. Mm-hmm. It's mother nature has a way of taking care of her babies. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Yeah. Um, yeah. So if folks want to get connected with you, potentially book a trip with you out on Lake Erie, I know they can find it at Nippleless Charters on Facebook. Um, yep. Any other good way to reach out to you? you know, I have a, I have a website is nippledischarters.com. Mm-hmm. Um, but in I have a, my website is nippledischarter or my Facebook page are, are, if you just want to chat with me or you got questions or you want to book a trip or whatever, uh, give me a call, uh, 574-876-5318 or a text or, or my, my actual Randy Gaines and Facebook and message me. Uh, we can, those are all easy ways to get a hold of me without having to fill out some form or some. Perfect. Yeah, just just reach out to me. We'll we'll get a conversation going. We'll figure out what you want to do. You want to, you know, 
go chase some big fish or you want to chase just nice fish and 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 we'll talk about what times of year you got to do that the big fish usually mean cold weather yep um, and, and uh but uh the real nice you know just a good quality eating size walleye th- those can be had throughout the entire summer months Perfect. And that's what most people want anyway. You know, mm-hmm. it's nice to catch that one big one, but but if you're after uh, a trip where you have a lot of action, um, the warmer months is probably the the funnest, especially if you're including family. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah so with fall around the corner, there's a lot of very good fishing, and I, I think you run some fall brawl trips. Um, and and what that is is a if you, if you aren't from the region, Great Lakes region, that's probably the biggest tournament on Lake Erie, hands down. And um, fall fishing is incredible. There's lots of big fish. And if you want to get on some good fish, Randy knows how to do it. And he knows that lake like the back of his hand. So definitely reach out to him and uh, tell us a little bit about the fall brawl and, and you know how much you do in terms of fishing it uh, when tournaments aren't in the way. Oh, yeah. The fall brawl is... But now we've got the fall brawl. Now we have the walleye slam. Yeah, I saw that. So we have two heavy hitter tournaments um, going on, derbies that that used to was like a fun thing to do. Now you have to treat it like a tournament Mm -hmm. because the money that's the potential money that's involved. And and during, during the fall brawl, time of year or the walleye time of year. Um, and, and I would say that after November 1st, I don't like to take any charters that the contestants aren't involved in both of them. Yep. Because it could mean a lot of money for, for all of us. Um, so um, if you come, if you want to fish the fall anytime in November, um, it, it's over in this first of like the end of November and it starts uh, about midway through October. I'm not so worried about the monster fish or the, the way fish in October, but if, if you're going to come in November, you want to be, you want to be in those, uh, in both those tournaments because it would, it would just break your heart to catch a 12 pound fish and know that you just, passed on about a hundred thousand dollars by not being in the tournament. Right. I think it's only like 35 bucks to get in and either of those. Yeah, like that. It is for either one of them. Mm-hmm. So you can be in both of them for the same amount. And, and, uh, holy cow, I think second place of the walleye slam don't take me to the bank on this, but I think second place they're Garrett, they're saying $55,000 for second yeah. place. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's a boat two derbies we can fish in. Yeah. Yeah. So there's second place. If you used to get the second place fish that was good in both derbies for second place, you're at a hundred K cash. Mm-hmm. You yeah, so that, you know, it's got serious real quick. So, but, uh, um, I keep right on chartering as long as we can fish December, even into January in the boat is it from December to the end of March, if you was after a monster fish, that's when I would be fishing. Yep. That's when they're the heaviest. They have the spawn and the winter feed in them, and that's when when they get their biggest. Now, 
you don't want to come in those months with the emphasis on taking everybody taking their six fish home because that's probably um, although it, it well within reason of happening but the the emphasis that time of year is not on on the number but on the quality yep awesome yeah so it's year-round incredible fishing and yeah if you want to hook up with randy to go check out that fishery he'll help you do just that and just Absolutely. have a great time uh, it's all yeah. about having a good time and uh yep. yeah so um i covered a lot of what i wanted to talk about and how people can reach out to you and get to potentially get fishing with you or just plain talk fishing. Um, any other things that you wanted to chat about? You know, I, I think, I think like you, I think we covered most everything. I just want everybody to know that, that if, if there's anything that you think I can help you with walleye fishing or fishing in general, as far as, is there's something that's been puzzling you that I might be able to give you some insight on, um, don't don't be afraid to reach out to me um i do get quite a lot of of traffic on my messenger so i might not like get back to you right that minute but mm -hmm. i'm going to get back to you i i'm not going to let anybody go without an answer uh, it's just just how i've always been if you if you reach out to me i'm i'm you know i'm honored that you asked me a question so i'm going to do the right thing and and give you the best answer that I can or we just have a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll just add to that, Randy, you're one of the most personable and kind people I've met fishing. Thank and uh, the cool thing about fishing is you meet incredible people. And, and that's part of the, the podcast here is connecting with walleye anglers and helping people learn the sport. So Randy, I thank you for your time and, and helping people learn about um, some of your tournament experience and, and perspective of preparing for trips, whether it's charters and tournament fishing and I just wish you continued success. And hopefully I'll see you in October at NPAA conference. Yep. I hope so too. That'd be good. All right. Walleye world listeners, this has been our interview with Randy Gaines. And that's our first episode coming back after a little tactical pause here. I had a new job and a new baby at the house and we're right back at it. So thank you and stay tuned for more. Mm -hmm.